As the world's largest furniture retailer with 10,000 products in its range, IKEA's move towards a circular economy is a significant one. From standardising parts for easier refurbishing to piloting furniture rental, over the next 20 minutes, we'll hear about the many initiatives IKEA is embarking on in its circular journey. Welcome to the Circular Economy Show from the Ellen MacArthur Foundation. I'm Pippa Shirley, and today I'm taking you back to the Foundation Summit 2020, where my colleague Joe Isles spoke to Hannah Olberg, IKEA's Circular Product Development Project Leader, whose circular economy journey began while living in Shanghai. Thanks for joining us and for giving us a bit of insight into how circular design is playing out at IKEA. And I guess one place to start would be with some background. What, what is the story so far? How, how is the circular economy being adopted at the design stage at IKEA? Well, um, IKEA has had a linear um, business model for the last 75 years, and we're now uh, moving into a circular model. And ever since the beginning, uh, when Ingvar started IKEA as a small mail ordering company in 1943, we have the resource saving kind of thinking. And in um, the testament um, of a furniture dealer that Ingvar did 1976, he stated in there that uh, waste is a mortal sin and um, smart and more responsible use uh, of resources has been in our DNA since then. Um, 2012, we uh, came out with the first sustainable strategy and uh, since the world is rapidly changing and calls for even more ambition, uh, ambitious uh, actions than we put in that strategy, then now when we relaunched uh, our strategy in 2018, we made a common sustainability agenda for everyone in the IKEA fam, um, franchise system and value chain. And... Um, we also then put in there to become a circular business for 2030. So that's where we are working on right now. I, I don't think, well, I certainly hadn't appreciated that there was that, that longer legacy or the, the roots of this way of thinking could be traced back for a number of, mm. of decades. Um, mm. Obviously, in the past 10, or 10 years or so, we're seeing this surge of, of circular economy momentum with new, as you say, new uh, commitments and, and, and uh, practices being adopted, new pilots. Could you tell us a bit about the circular design approach and, and how that works? Yeah. Um, well, we have, as you said, uh, around 10,000 products uh, in our range. And they're all built up from different material compositions. They all have different function, price and styles. And when we start designing products, we always start from our democratic design. Um, and we're now trying to move uh, from designing great products into actually designing circular products. Um, so with our uh, circular design principles, we're trying to inspire our product development teams to think uh, circular. Um, and maybe I can explain a little bit about our uh, design uh, principles, circular design principles. We have eight circular design principles where two applies to all products. Um, that's designed for renewable and recycled material and designed for standardization. Um, 
And for the other ones, uh, they're dependent on what kind of uh, circular loops uh, the products uh, will have to go through. And um, in this journey to try to design circular products, um, we have learned a lot. And uh, we have a circular design guide. Um, and we have just launched the third version of that uh, design guide. Um, in the first version, uh, there were very high level goals. Um, and very hard to measure. So um, when we are now uh, launching the third design guide, uh, we have changed uh, some of the principles because uh, when we're learning along this journey, we realize that some of the principles uh, were not actually totally um, used or correct. And uh, to give you an example of that, um, we started out with a principle that was uh, uh, to assembly, design for assembly and disassembly. And we've actually changed that to design for disassembly and reassembly. Because hmm. we learn when working uh, with the customers um, and making it possible for the customers to keep their products as long as possible, they need to be able to change that product uh, or bring that product with them in their changing life situations. And then when you move with a product, you actually need to disassemble it, but then you need to be able to reassemble your product without it breaking. So then we realized that um, instead of assembly and disassemble, it's better to have disassemble and reassemble because assembly we're already really good at with our assembly instructions and so on. And I'm sure that's something that a lot of people could relate to that, that moment when they're, they're moving house and mm. a piece of furniture was too big to fit through the door. It was flat packed yeah. on the way in, but too big on the way out. Um, yeah. and, and that's an, a time when a lot of furniture could end up as waste. Yeah. And yeah. what the impression I'm getting here as well is that um, you mentioned, uh, I got a sense of different approaches or strategies for all of those 10,000 products or, or a range of different strategies. And I think that's something that, again, is an important step. When people think of furniture, they maybe just think long-lasting is the, is the holy grail, but actually it's, it's more complex than that. Yeah. Um, when we are designing um, our products, as I said, we always start from uh, democratic design. Um, and the areas in there is form, function, price, and quality, and sustainability. So um, we've actually had uh, sustainability uh, for a long time in our product development, but uh, it's just recently that we stated uh, the circular design uh, principles. Um, and many uh, of those um, or already in democratic design, we have uh, many of those already integrated. The design principles are already integrated there. For example, when we make products, uh, we make uh, flat pack products, uh, uh, standardized fittings, uh, care instructions, and we are considering uh, the material a lot. And, and on the subject of product lifespan, um, they're not, that's not featured particularly heavily in the guide. Why is that? 
Well, um, actually, the lifespan, design for lifespan was one of our principles when we started this journey. Um, but we realized that you have to think about lifespan so much earlier than when you go into the principles. So to be able to set the lifespan for a product, you have to look at that product and see which circular loops that product will go through. So reuse, um, refurbishment, remanufacture or recycling. And then when you uh, have looked at those loops, you can decide how long uh, the time uh, that product should live. Um, so then after you've done that, after you've set the lifespan early in the project, then you can go in and look at your uh, different uh, principles. So that's why uh, it's actually very important to do this uh, in the beginning of a product. Yeah, and, and give, certainly gives the impression that there's a there's some thinking to be done. There's, this isn't uh, just a checklist that, or, or no. one size fits all. It's, there's, you have no. to, to engage your, your creative uh, brain and design, apply design mm. thinking to, to understand the lifespan or the route for those products. Mm. That, that kind of moves us on to business models. And I think when people think of design or circular design, sometimes they zoom straight to the, the form or the materials. Um, but, but business model design is really important as well. So what's the connection for, for you and for IKEA between product design and, and business models? Well, I mean, here it's really important that the whole system enables circularity um, because what's the use of for us to design circular products if they're not handling in that way? Um, you can take an example of a plastic, a recycled plastic bag that ends up in landfill um, it bears the same environmental impact as any other plastic product that would end up there. So if we don't, uh, if we design for reuse, refurbishment, remanufacture and recycling, and it's not handled that way from the customers, then uh, we have a big issue. Um, so we want to make our products to live as long as possible. And we've understood that it's really important to involve the customer in this. And we want to, our customers to adopt circular behaviors. Um, so we're right now working on setting the preconditions for this um, to prolong the life of the product. We need, for example, to expand our spare part offer. Uh, we realize that we need to have more services around this and also to be able to communicate both with our customers and uh, with our coworkers around this. Um, and we have uh, different tests with leasing and renting and refurbishment. And we also, it's also become very obvious for us that in those cases, standardization and optimization is a huge, uh, it makes a big impact. Um, and here it's also about spare parts. And then it's, of course, to design the products uh, according to this. Um, we also have a huge opportunity uh, because we have our whole value chain under our umbrella. So using our IKEA network, we can make big uh, independent uh, changes um, to fully enable circular uh, circularity. But um, of course, it's not. We cannot uh, work just in vacuum. We need to work together with others uh, to make this happen. And an example there could be recycling, for example. 
we don't see this as our business uh, capability to develop. So we need to find strong uh, cooperations with uh, others that can do this for us. Um, And then also when it comes to laws and standards and so on, uh, it's important. uh, We want to play a big part there so that we can influence the decision makers um, and share our learnings uh, with them uh, to be influencing. The, the, the big being this being bigger than IKEA, bigger than potentially yeah. the furniture industry, yeah. and and uh, uh, a space for some pre-competitive collaboration, which is something we we hear a lot about at the foundation um, uh, th- through the network. Mm. Um, just going back to the, the the principles, when I was reading through them, something that struck me was there wasn't much mention of. Um, metrics, I mean, or or, or the conventional ones, at least. When speaking with designers, something that comes up a lot is, how will I measure and how will I know I'm I'm making the right decision? Um, uh, And and people often turn to metrics like lifecycle assessment or um, Mm. some other uh, carbon calculation Mm. to Mm. try and guide them along the way. I got the sense Mm. from from what you've said today and and from knowing a bit about the, the... your circular design guide, that it's more principles-led. Can you speak to that at all? Mm. It is very principle-led, but um, the important thing going into this journey was that it actually was going to be measurable because we can't move anything that's not uh, possible to measure. So when we set up uh, this system to actually measure how circular our furniture or our whole range is, then it was a very important part to actually being able to measure. So what we did is that each product actually has a percentage uh, when the score is done. Um, and that percentage says how cir- how it re- or how circular that product is. Um, I think it's easier if I maybe go in a little bit to explain this uh, for you. Um, So the design principles are used uh, when we create a recipe and the recipes are then used when we assess our products. And to give you an example, if we do a work share, for example, um, we we make a whole group out of work chairs and look at them as because they have the same circular capabilities. Um, and then we look at our design um, uh, principles and we make different criteria under the design principles. So if you would take the uh, example of a work chair, then and the example of the design uh, principle for standardization, design for uh, standardization, then uh, the recipe would actually be is this work chair designed uh, with standardized fittings, for example? It can be many parts under the recipe, but that could be one part. And then uh, when we do the assessment of a work chair, say Leif Arne that we have in the range or an, any other uh, chair, um, then we look at that chair and say, does then this chair, Leif Arne, have standard fittings? And if it does, then it gets a two as a score. If it's um, partly, so some fittings are standardized, but not all, then it gets a one. And if it doesn't have any standardized parts, it gets a two, uh, zero. 
And then we take those scores for each principle and put them together. Um, and then it becomes a total percentage score of how circular that product is. And then we actually use that score to create a roadmap going forward um, and explain how all our products will be circular by 2030. That's really nice. And I think the, the kind of zero to two shows um, rather than incremental change, actually could signal different path pathways. Are we choosing standardized fittings or are we not using standardized fittings? Which I think I, I often think about how we can be supporting designers uh, at, that, at that development stage, the product conception stage, and signaling those different pathways seems like a, a, a good way to do it, a good way to give advice. Just, um, recipes are also, hmm. I'm just gonna, uh, the recipes are also really good when you go in and design new products because sure. then you can see where you actually don't score that high and you can go in and uh, make sure that the next product will actually score a lot higher. So the recipes and the principles, they, they apply to the existing 10,000 products and, and the new mm. ones on the horizon? Yes. Now, Thinking about all the other designers and creative people that may be watching this and on, the, on a similar journey, maybe a few, um, a, a few paces behind uh, you and Ikea on the journey, but, but, but on the same uh, road nonetheless. Mm. Something we hear is that, is the customer ready for this? It's something that, that, that crops up occasionally. We've spoken about it with some other speakers at this year's summit. Um, how do you think about your relationship with the customer and, and whether you're offering something that, something that is circular that, that they didn't even know they wanted yet or, or waiting for them to, to see the demand? How, how do you think about that? Well, uh, our aim here is to make it as simple as possible for the customer. We always, uh, of course, want to put the customer in focus with our vision, a better everyday life for the many people. This is super important for us. And what this is doing with a circular design is really to make it easy for customer through life-changing uh, moments or through life to live with our products as long as possible. So we want to make it easier for them to uh, fix the product, to move with the product or to change the product in any way. Or if you want to get rid of the product, we also want to be there to make it easy to get uh, to give the pass on the product to someone else. Um, but of course, it's not uh, only uh, the customers. It's a whole value chain transformation and everyone needs to do their part. I mean, circular product design is one part of it. Um, but then making sure that the develop the supply chain for circular flows or sourcing sustainable material and, and focusing on renewable and recycled uh, content is also a very big part here. So we're not putting everything on the customer, but the, we want to make it as easy as possible for the customers. That's our focus. So giving them uh, perhaps, a, we could imagine the future, aisles or the marketplace at Ikea being easier to make really good choices that support a circular mm. economy. Yes. Just before we finish, Hannah, um, I have one last question. Something else we've been picking up at this year's summit, speaking with designers and, and people who are shaping their career around circular design, um, mm. about 
personally what the the sense of reward or satisfaction they they achieve in 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 working on circular economy. I was reading your bio beforehand, and I know that you're passionate about the outdoors and um, and the environment in which you live. Can you say anything about that? What 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 this brings to you being able to work on on circular economy day to day? Well. Um... 2015, I moved uh, abroad, I moved to Shanghai, and I then uh, got to realize um, how it is to live in a world that's actually not functioning when it comes to breathing the air. So for me, that became very obvious that we really need to make a change because the the whole world cannot uh, look like that. Um, So... For me, it's a very strong uh, passion. It's about uh, being able to uh, keep uh, the nature uh, and the uh, everything uh, like it is or make it better. And I felt a strong connection that I can't keep on making more products uh, that goes into the world that will not be taken care of or will not, uh, nobody would take responsible for. So working for IKEA and being into this circular transformation really makes me feel proud. And it's, uh, I go to work every day um, and it feels like we can really make a difference. Thanks, Hannah. And and I hope that 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 story or a snippet of your story is um, something that either resonates with people watching or that they can aspire to uh, in their own company or as they reach a juncture in their in their career. Feeling like our work can make a difference is something I think many of us listening to that conversation will hopefully agree with. It was great to hear Hannah talk about the importance of involving customers and colleagues in IKEA's circular mission too. In the next episode of the Circular Economy Show podcast, we'll be getting tips on how creativity can help find solutions. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. And if you'd like to get in touch, drop us a line via one of our social media channels. You can find the details in the show notes below. Thanks for listening and see you next time on The Circular Economy Show.